Welcome to the New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcast at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can subscribe on Podbeam, Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play Music. If you have any questions for Pastor Eric or would like to suggest topics for our podcast, you can email Pastor Eric at erik.anderson at nllutheran.com. The last week was a very special week. It was Easter Sunday, and really I just had one goal. I had one goal that I was trying to accomplish that Sunday, and it was to bring you hope. So I hope you had an opportunity maybe on on Easter Sunday specifically or sometime throughout the week to really participate in our online Easter worship service because we specifically designed it for you. And so we hope that you had an opportunity to participate in that. But if you were, this is the story you heard. You heard this amazing story of hope about 11 hopeless disciples who had given up on everything. But these 11 hopeless disciples would become 11 powerful men sharing this message of the resurrected Christ and and putting their lives on the line to bring the story of hope to the rest of the world. But when it comes to the Easter story, I think there is one false belief that we tend to fall victim of as Christians. One false belief that actually keeps us disconnected from Christ. And it's the belief that the Easter story is just about our eternity. But the truth is, God's story and Christ's story is so much bigger than that. Yeah, it's about our eternity, but it's also about our temporary. It's also about our life. In fact, in Romans 8, 28, this is what we read, that God works all things out for good for those who love him and are called by his purpose, which means all things, right? All things are all things. Every area of your life, God can bring the darkness and turn it into light. And right now, the truth is, you probably have some darkness in your life. I mean, normally we have darkness in our life in some capacity, but especially during this crisis, it's intense and difficult time where darkness kind of creeps into every area of our life. And for you, it could be anything, right? It could be the loss of a job right now, or maybe you're the business owner and the government has told you that your business can't operate, which means you can't bring any money in, and that's incredibly difficult. Maybe you're a senior in high school and you've lost your school year, which means you've lost your prom and you've probably lost all your spring sports. And I can't imagine the heartache that you're feeling right now. Or maybe you're a bride who is waiting for your special day. But right now we've had the stay-at-home order, which means you've had to push off your ceremony into an uncertain future. Or maybe right now you're sick or concerned about being sick and you just feel like everything around you is darkness. Well, I have a promise for you. And the promise is this, that Christ will walk with you through every area of darkness. Now, I can't tell you where your story ends. I can't tell you what's gonna happen in the future because obviously I can't see the future, but I can see the past. And the past is a powerful predictor of the future, especially when it comes to God because God never changes. And so over the next seven weeks, we're going to start this new sermon series, a sermon series dealing directly with this idea of darkness and light called silver linings. And we're going to see how God's promises come true, that he will bring about good 
for those who love him and are called by his purpose. Specifically, what we're gonna do is we're gonna look into the past to see how God functioned then so we know how God would function for today in our own personal lives. And we're gonna look into the lives of Old Testament individuals, real historical people who went through really difficult times, but who God brought out on the other side and showed them a silver lining. Specifically today, we're going to look into the life of Joseph. And Joseph had incredible highs and lows and incredible evil done to him. But despite that, God showed him an amazing silver lining. So let's take a look at Joseph's story. It's recorded in the book of Genesis, and this is how it begins. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his children because he was the son of his old age, and he had made him a long robe with sleeves. Now parents, as one parent to another parent, let's have a little heart to heart. Isn't it true that you actually have a favorite child. Now, don't point, right? Don't wink at them, don't nod at them, don't, don't give any clue to who it is, but it's true that you have a favorite child. And it actually makes sense, right? Because there's always one child who's maybe a little bit more funny, maybe a little more athletic, maybe somebody who has a lot more in common with you than the others, or maybe you just have one child who actually listens to you and actually obeys the rules. And as a parent, I can tell you, if I have a child like that, they're probably gonna be my favorite. I mean, let's just be honest. And as a son who has other brothers, who has other siblings, I know this is true. I know my parents, and I know everyone else's parents, if they have more than one kid, has a favorite. And I'm okay with that. I get that. Because everyone has a brother or a sister who followed every rule that their parent gave them, right? They did everything right. And so it makes sense that they would be the favorite. Everyone probably has a brother or sister who is always just jovial and smiling and happy, and it makes sense that they would probably be the favorite. And Joseph's brothers, they would even agree. Like, that makes sense. If that was the case, it would make sense that that individual would be the favorite. But that's not what's going on here in Joseph's story. It doesn't say that he was funny or athletic. It doesn't say that he followed all the rules or he had a lot in common with his dad. What it says was he was just born to his dad later on in life, right? It wasn't because he did anything. It was just blind, dumb luck. And this was an irritation to Joseph's brothers. But what made it worse was this. Joseph's dad, Israel, showed that he was his favorite by showing him favoritism. You see, he made him a custom-made Robe, And this is where he really screwed up as a dad. Because you can have a favorite, but you can't show favoritism. And so once again, Joseph's brothers had even more reason to not like Joseph that much. It actually got worse because later on, Joseph would start having these dreams. And in his dreams, he, he had his brothers bowing down to him. Now, of course, you can have that dream and you can kind of internalize it and it's not gonna do much damage, but this is where Joseph makes an incredibly unwise move. He goes to his brothers and he tells them, this is the dream I had. And this is his brother's response. His brother said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to have dominion over us? So they hated him even more because of his dreams and his words. When he told his brothers that he was going to rule over them, that he was going to become superior to them, he might have thought it was a, a silver lining, but all it did was bring darkness 
into his life because his brothers did not receive that news well as to be expected. And they hated him even more. Well, as the story goes on, we see that Israel sends his older sons off to do some work. Now, we don't know why Joseph isn't working at the time, but as you can imagine, that probably creates a little bit more conflict. And finally, Israel says to Joseph, this is what I want you to do. Go check on your brothers. Go make sure they're working hard and getting everything done. And so Joseph goes out to to make sure they're working. And from a distance, the brothers, they see Joseph, and this is what happens. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we shall say that a wild animal has devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. This is obviously pretty horrific, right? They were so jealous and so annoyed with their brother that they decided the best course of action would be to kill him and throw him into a pit. Because that would end the dreams, right? And that would end the favoritism. But luckily, there was an older brother. And typically, older brothers have some wisdom to share. And so the oldest brother says these words. Reuben said to them, Shed no blood. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but lay no hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand and restore him to his father. So the oldest brother, Reuben, says, let's not do that, but let's do this instead. Don't kill him. Just throw him into the pit. And then whatever happens to him, happens to him, right? He might starve to death. He might become dehydrated and die. Maybe he'll get sick and die, right? Maybe a wild animal actually will kill him, but let's not actually kill him. Let's just throw him in a pit and just just let it play out. Now, of course, Reuben had a different thought. He was just trying to put him in the pit so he had time to rescue him. Now, I don't know his motivation. I don't know if he actually secretly loved Joseph or just knew this was incredible evil. Or maybe he was trying to save the favored son to look like a hero so he would gain some points in his father's eye. Well, either way, what happens is Reuben feels confident that this is the course of action that's going to happen, and so he ends up leaving. And this is where another brother steps in, and he says these words. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. For he is our brother, our own flesh, and his brothers agreed. And so Judah comes up with a different idea. Let's throw him into the pit, right? We're not going to kill him. Let's throw him into the pit. But let's just store him there for a little bit. And when the Ishmaelites come along, we know that they buy slaves. Let's sell our brother, right? Let's make a quick buck. That way we don't have to kill him. We get rid of him and we make some money. And that's exactly what they do. When the Ishmaelites come, they sell Joseph for 20 shekels of silver, which is about a third less than the average cost of a slave. And so we get this idea that they're making a quick sell, right? Just get rid of him as fast as possible, get him away far from our land, and so we can just get him out of our life. Well, then they take his coat, they tear it up, and they rub on it goat's blood, and they bring it back to their dad. And they tell him, hey, Joseph, he's been killed by a wild animal. We're so sorry. And this is maybe the most evil part of the whole story because this is what happens next. All his sons and all his daughters sought to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. So these brothers come with their false story of his favorite son's death 
And then they pretend to comfort him, which means they're sitting there consoling their father, even though they know that he has no reason to be consoled. And they're comforting him. And he's saying, I am going to die. In fact, later on, he says specifically, I'm going to go down to Sheol. I'm going to, I'm going to die because this weight is so heavy on my soul. You see, in this time, they had the perfect opportunity to just confess. Hey, Dad, we're so sorry. We've got to tell you the truth. We did something really, really bad, and you're probably never going to forgive us. But it's much better that you be mad at us than what we actually did. Right? This would be the perfect time to say, we sold your son into slavery. Let's go together. Let's get on the horses. Let's go get him back. We'll pay the fee. We'll get Joseph back. But stop crying. Stop being upset because your son lives. That's what they should have done. But they didn't do that. Right? They just let the story play out. They gave him false comfort for a loss that never actually happened. Well, as the story goes on, we start seeing a little bit of a silver lining in Joseph's story. You see, he was sold to the Ishmaelites, but then they quickly sold him to a guy named Potiphar who was an Egyptian. And so Joseph ended up in Egypt and he was serving Potiphar and Joseph was very successful. And is the case for successful people, they move up in the ranks. People love to employ successful people. And so Joseph moves up in the ranks. He becomes the second most important person in Potiphar's house. But then something bad happens. Potiphar's wife takes notice of Joseph because he's a good-looking guy. He's a successful guy. And she sees him from a distance, and she decides she's going to make a move. And so she makes a move on Joseph, and Joseph, of course, rejects her because that's what you should do when a, a married woman makes a move on you. But in her rejection, she gets upset. And so what she does is she goes to her husband and says, you're not going to believe this. Joseph made a move on me. And this is Potiphar's response. When his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, saying, this is the way your servant treated me, he became enraged. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he remained there in prison. So this is interesting because Potiphar says he's enraged. But what he doesn't do is he doesn't kill Joseph. Instead, he puts him into prison, which kind of gives me this thought that maybe, maybe, maybe he didn't fully trust his wife. He didn't fully trust the story. But Joseph gets put into the king's prison. And once again, Joseph is very successful. And he moves his way up the food chain. In fact, he becomes the second in command to the warden of the prison. And over time, something interesting happens. Because this is the king's prison, two of the king's servants, specifically the baker and the cupbearer, get tossed into the prison because the king has a tiff with them, and so he tosses them into prison. And while these guys are there, they have dreams. And Joseph has this amazing gift from God that he can interpret dreams. And so he listens to their dreams, and he tells them the outcome. He says, this is what they mean. And to the baker, he said, you're going to be killed. To the cupbearer, he says, you're going to be restored to your place back with the king. And guess what happens? Both predictions, both interpretations are spot on. The baker is killed. The cupbearer is restored. Now, you would think if you were the cupbearer and some guy predicted these two dreams spot on, that one of the first things that you would do is tell your master, right? You'd go to Pharaoh and say, you're not going to believe this. 
This guy can interpret dreams. This guy can predict the future. This is somebody that you need in your inner council, right, to help you as a leader. But the cupbearer, he completely forgets. Well, time goes on. Joseph stays in prison. And all of a sudden, Pharaoh has a dream, a dream that none of his counselors, none of his wise people that he surrounded himself with can interpret, right? No one can tell him what this means. And it's in this moment that the cupbearer remembers Oh, yeah, my prison mate, Joseph, he can interpret dreams. And so he tells Pharaoh, there's this guy, his name is Joseph, and he probably can interpret your dream. And so Joseph gets pulled out of the prison. He listens to Pharaoh, and he says, I know what that means. What your dream means, Pharaoh, is that for seven years, we are going to have plenty here. Right? God is going to bless us, and we're going to have an overabundance of crop. But then directly after those seven years, we're going to have famine across the whole land. And so he tells him this. He interprets his dream, and this is what Pharaoh says. Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find anyone else like this, one in whom is the Spirit of God? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only with regard to the throne will I be greater than you? Wow. Let's give a quick recap of what's happened in Joseph's life. 17 years old, he is sold into slavery by his flesh and blood, his brothers. Right, gets put in Potiphar's house. He moves his way up the food chain. We think that's a good thing, right? That seems like a silver lining. Then Potiphar's wife falsely accuses him of impropriety. He's tossed into prison, a low point in his life. He moves his way up the food chain. He interprets this dream of the cupbearer. Nothing happens. It's another moment of darkness. And then this point in time, he is moved into the second of command of all of Egypt. And because his interpretation is true, because his predictions come true, guess what happens? Egypt becomes one of the most powerful nations on the whole planet, probably the entire planet. They were the most powerful at this time. Why? because they knew what was gonna happen in the future. Which means for seven years, they stored away the excess. So during those times of famine, they still had plenty. And because they still had plenty and other nations didn't know this, those other nations came to Egypt and gave them whatever they wanted so they could just get by. This means that Joseph not only was the second in command in Egypt, he became the second most important person in the entire world world. Talk about a silver lining. Because that's what this has to be, right? This has to be the silver lining in Joseph's story. But I want you to hear something. Your silver lining is not to meant, not meant to make you successful. Hear that again. Your silver lining is not meant to make you successful. Your silver lining is meant for you to fulfill the purpose that God has given you. And for Joseph, he had a, a very distinct purpose because he had a very distinct genealogy. You see, through the line of Joseph and through his family would come Jesus. But that story, that genealogy was about to end because his family was starving and they were desperate. And so where did they go? 
They went to the only place where there was food. They went to Egypt and they walked through ready to beg for their lives. And who did they find? They found their brother, Joseph, ready and willing to feed them and protect them and take them under his care. And so he brings the whole family there, including his dad. Well, as time goes on, the dad passes away of natural causes. And then the brothers get very concerned because they're thinking, if we were in charge, if we were Joseph and, and we did something like that to us, we would still really hold a grudge, right? We would still really be mad. And so they get concerned that Joseph is going to kill them off. And so they, they hatch this plot. They make up a story and they go to Joseph and say, hey, before dad died, he told you that you have to be really nice to us and you have to forgive us. And here's Joseph's response to that. But Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it for good in order to preserve a numerous people as he is doing today. You see, this is what Joseph knew. He experienced it in his life and he knew this was true. That what people intend for evil, God turns it into good. Which means that God can take your darkness in your life, the hard things in your life, and turn them into a silver lining. Now, I, I want you to think through this a little bit. In fact, we're going to have a question that's going to really help us think through this series and, and think through our lives. And, and here's the question that's going to drive us all throughout this series, and it's this. What will you find on the other side? What will you find on the other side of your darkness? What will we find on the other side of this crisis? And the answer is, it depends. Now, if you can tell me that, that you love God and you're willing to do whatever God wants you to do, right, to fulfill his purpose, then I know the answer. The answer is that you will find good on the other side of your darkness because that's what God promises us. In fact, maybe right now you've stepped into that promise. You're experiencing that promise. You're experiencing a silver lining. Maybe for you, it was something like this. You didn't have enough time for your family or your spouse, but now God has given you time for your family and your spouse, and you're taking advantage of it to love and care for them during this time. Maybe for you, you were never that close to God. You, you kind of thought it was something important, but you never prioritized it. But right now, because of this difficulty, because of this challenge, because everything else has been stripped away, you realize how important God is. And so for the first time in your life, you're stepping into your, your prayer life. You're reading your Bible. You're attending church more than once a year and you're experiencing the good. As a church body here at New Life, we're experiencing a silver lining. In the midst of this darkness, something that we, we don't really want to experience, we're seeing God do some amazing things. You see, as we post on our website, we have some really amazing technology that actually tells us where people are watching from. You see, we used to be happy to impact some people in the Sauk Valley, to impact some people in Sterling and Rock Falls. We thought maybe, maybe God would bless us enough to allow us to do that. But over the past month during this crisis, we've had people log onto our website and watch our services from 32 of 50 states in America. Unbelievable that God is allowing this moment in time to allow us to impact and bring his message of hope and his transforming power to people all around our nation. Now, right now, you might be thinking, 
I haven't had a silver lining yet, and I'm getting frustrated waiting. So, so what are you going to tell me? And the answer is, take a look at Joseph. For 13 years, he went through these incredibly dark times. And it was just a matter of time before God showed up in a powerful way, before God gave him his silver lining. You see, this is the promise that we're holding on to today, that God tells us that he's going to work out all things for good for those who love him and are called by his purpose. So here's the truth. If you love God, and if you're willing to let him be the boss of your life, you will experience your silver lining. Steady, so present it's my